0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 29th of January 2012, entitled Avoiding Shipwrecks, and the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 44. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts. We'll be taking our reading from... uh, Next to the last chapter, chapter 27 of the uh, book of Acts, and let me just say while you're turning there, I guess that uh, part of what took me to this passage, <coughs> of course there are several other passages in Scripture, but if you've been alive and breathing, if you've had any kind of media on in the last uh, a couple of weeks, then uh, it's been kind of hard to miss all that has been taking place uh, with the Costa Concordia uh, and the shipwreck that uh, uh, there, which uh, again, of course, at uh, uh, at this point, uh, I think the last I heard yesterday was the count was up to something like 17 uh, bodies, and still a number that uh, that were missing. Uh, but uh, that was sort of the uh, the thought with all of that that uh, uh, took me to this passage because. You know we think of physical shipwrecks, but I guess one thing that, uh, through the years of becoming an older, more mature man, um, i 've met a lot of shipwrecked people uh, that maybe we 're not physically shipwrecked on the ocean, but we 're spiritually shipwrecked and uh, and I think there 's some great truths here that can hopefully uh, be a blessing to us this evening. Let me invite you to uh, uh, to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. It will begin reading in Acts chapter uh, 27 and uh, beginning in verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. Entering into a ship of Adramatium, "'We launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, "'one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. "'The next day we touched at Sidon, "'and Julius courteously entreated Paul "'and gave him liberty to go unto his friends "'to refresh himself. "'When he had launched from thence, "'we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary.' When we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. When he had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Creteus, the wind, not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lassia. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much danger not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia, and there to winter, which is, and haven of Crete, and lieth toward the south, west, and northwest. The south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. No, not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called euroclidon When the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, We let her drive, running under a certain island, which is called Claudia. We had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. We being exceedingly tossed without, I mean, being tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. The third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. Sounded, found it twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little farther, they sounded again, and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. As the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. While the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. When he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer. And they also took some meat. We were in all in the ship 200, pardon me, 200, three score, and 16 souls. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. When they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore. Falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. The soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, so it came to pass that they escaped, all safe, to land. Father, we thank you again this evening for your Word, for the preservation of your Word. Now as we look into this passage, take a bit of time this evening, we pray that you would take, Lord, and speak to our hearts. Give each one something that could be of use, that could be of help, that could be of encouragement. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So I said, as we have seen... Uh, In the news, the Costa Concordia and all that has been taking place there. Come back to that, of course, a very familiar account that probably anybody alive knows about is the one that took place on April the 10th, 1912 when the Titanic left the harbor of Southampton. That was the maiden voyage. She was 882 foot long. She had been billed as being the first unsinkable ship that she literally could not be sunk. On board there were like 2,228 passengers plus crew. Most of those passengers, of course, had paid thousands of pounds to sail on that great luxury liner. Four days, four days into the voyage, April 14th, 1912, there were severe ice warnings that were received for the area through which the Titanic was going to be sailing. But those warnings quite simply were ignored. The Titanic maintained her course, thinking that she was going to New York Harbor, about 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side of her bow. Of course, the water began to come in at an alarming rate. Within three hours, the Titanic and 1,523 of her passengers were at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. It happened so fast. Only 705 of the original 2,228 persons survived that great shipwreck. Everybody thought they were so safe and so secure. Everybody thought that that ship was the epitome of safety and that there was no harm that could possibly come. You know, since that date in history, a lot of people have tried to figure out what happened? What happened to that great ship that brought about its demise, this ship that everybody thought was unsinkable? And of course, as people search and as people ask, as people try to come up with answers, most people would end up agreeing that the tragedy was actually a mixture of a lot of different things but it included negligence, apathy, greed, pride, a lot of those human things, incompetence for sure. In other words, that tragedy could probably have been avoided if everybody had taken the proper steps that they were supposed to, if everybody had done what they should have been doing, then that? shipwreck most likely would have been avoided, but those steps weren't taken. And there was a tragedy that took place that cost many people their lives that night. And of course, the Titanic is just one, probably the most famous of many, many shipwrecks. And I guess I was thinking that though that The Costa Concordia was very close to shore. It was in very shallow water. And therefore the loss of life has been far less. Most of the people got to safety off of that. But you know, the same token, that doesn't do any good to those 17 and still counting souls that went into eternity because of that shipwreck. And the reality is that if you're one of the families and one of those members, then the truth is it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. We read about this shipwreck here that is recorded for us in Scripture. The Apostle Paul himself later spoke of his experience of being shipwrecked, and he used that illustration as he was writing to young Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, as he began that, that letter to, to Timothy there, notice what he said in, uh, in verse 19. He said, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He's speaking here spiritually of people's faith, that there are those that have become shipwrecked spiritually. And I think one of the things that that is heartbreaking to me, and, and I'm sure that if you've been a Christian for very long, that you know people that maybe had a special place in your heart. You know people that by all appearances, had a strong faith. People that had a great testimony. People that had an impact on your life and other lives around you. And yet, maybe some of those same people today, you look at them, and folks, quite honestly, they've become shipwrecked. That faith is not still there. Spiritually, they're away from the Lord. The thing is, is I know I can look and I can see people and we can say, well, how can that happen? I mean, again, it's a totally different message and a totally different subject, but, you know, we don't believe in ping pong table salvation around here. We don't believe that salvation is something that you can just get bounced around here and there and knocked around all over the place. Salvation is something that comes from the heart. It comes from within when God does that work in a life, that it's a promise to be an eternal work. But there are an awful lot of people, and we can look at so many passages, there are an awful lot of people that go through religious things that think they got something that they didn't get. They've never truly been born again. They've never truly been made new. They may have got a good dose of religion and they may have learned a whole lot of their Bible, and they may have gone through a whole bunch of religious things, but the simple fact is that they've not been genuinely born again. I'm glad as we looked even last week I think it was last week week before last week I think when we talked about the the wheat and the tares. You know the simple truth is is that Satan is doing a work but God is still working as well. They're growing up together. And sometimes it's hard for us to know and to tell the difference. But I want to give you a few encouraging thoughts tonight. You say preacher, how can it happen? Well, the simple truth is we better recognize it can happen to any of us. I know people that I believe with all my heart you'd never convince me otherwise unless it was God Himself that stood before it, that those people weren't genuinely saved and born again and on their way and yet I've seen their lives shipwrecked. I've seen them spiritually shipwrecked. We say, you know, Why can that happen? How can that happen? Well, a lot of things, but I want to give you just a few things for our passage tonight. A few simple thoughts on avoiding shipwreck because it can happen to any of us. And I'll guarantee you, oh, there might have been a few people that had some nervous jitters or whatever. There wasn't anybody that got on the Titanic that thought it was going to sink in the middle of the ocean. They all thought they were going to be there. The duration of that journey, simple fact is is that you know people don't plan to be shipwrecked. People don't look at how to get shipwrecked. The simple problem is so many times we don't look to take the steps to avoid being shipwrecked. The account of this shipwreck that is before us here, folks, it wasn't put there for entertainment. It wasn't put there so that we could read some story and maybe make a movie out of it someday and we could sit back and enjoy it then. Somebody may do that. That's not why God gave it to us. I can assure you that all Scripture is given by inspiration. All Scripture is profitable. It's there for us. It's for our good. And God has given this to us. How could this shipwreck have been avoided? Well, I can tell you this, just like the Titanic, and just like the, the Costa, what was it? I've forgotten already. <laughs> the simple truth is, is that those accidents taken, take, took place because some bad decisions were made. Some bad decisions were made. That if those decisions had been different, the Titanic may never have gone to the bottom. It may have made its journey across and the Costa Concordia may never have been laying down there off the coast of Italy on its side because of a bad decision of a captain to go off course. You see, we don't want to plan how to shipwreck this evening. I don't want to give you a few things just to keep in mind to help avoiding shipwreck. Because it can happen. You may not think. You may think you're perfectly safe, that it could never happen. I know preachers. Preachers that have had a great impact on my life, and yet I know preachers that have stood in the pulpit and preached it to everybody else, and yet have ended up shipwrecked themselves. None of us are so strong. Without the Lord, as a matter of fact, none of us have the strength to make it through this battle. How can we avoid shipwreck? Well, first of all, may I say to you, avoid decisions that are forged in haste. You know, sometimes we just we just we just decide something, we don't really think about it. We don't consult with God. We make decisions on the spur of the moment. Notice here that in verses 7 and 8 of our text, he said, And when he had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salmon, and hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now we find that they had some options. They had some choices that were there. Progress had been slow. Do you know the biggest thing when it comes to to shipping, whether it be people on a holiday, but more often, this ship had a lot of prisoners on it. This ship was something that delays were going to cost money. The ship owner undoubtedly wanted to get the destination out of the way. It's like I was talking with my brother when I was back in the States of these past few months. And, you know, I always knew that... uh, well, you have to be a little bit loose sometimes to be part of our family. But when he started telling some of the tales, because for many years he drove those 18 wheelers long distance back and forth across thousands of miles in, in North America. And the simple fact is, is that, you know, some of the, some of the, when you, when you look at the miles he covered and the hours that he did it in, it was insanity. Matter of fact, his wife said, you know, he couldn't have done it unless he was crazy. They all knew that he was crazy, but why was he doing it? Why was he bending the rules? Why was he breaking the law in some cases, driving more than what was even legal for somebody to be, why? He was pushing it because of the money, because it meant that it would mean more money in his pocket. The more miles he covered, the more he earned for it. We don't know all that was going through the minds of these, of these people, but I want you to notice they had choices. They didn't have to just make a decision right then and do it. They had some choices before them with a favorable whim. That distance between Myra and what's called here Nidus should have been covered in one day's journey. The question was this. Should they put into Nidus, where they had the opportunity, the choice to do that, and they could wait for better weather, or should they take a risk and sail on? What were the chances? Could they make it? Probably. They felt like they could. They didn't plan. If they had known they were going to be shipwrecked, I can assure you a different decision would have been made here. But they had the choices. They chose to sail on. Why? Because the captain of the ship, he wanted to get to his destination with his cargo. The centurion was anxious to deliver his prisoners. Impatience. Impatience. Have you ever become impatient over something and just made a decision because you were just so impatient that you had to do something now? Well, notice what the Bible tells us. In Proverbs 14, 29, it says, he that is hasty of spirit, exalteth folly. (laughs) If we're hasty of spirit, if we are impatient, then the Bible says what we're really exalting is folly or foolishness. Proverbs 19.2, He that hasteth with his feet sinneth, (laughs) sinneth. Bible calls impatience a sin. We get in too big of a haste when we're doing things without, without thinking. You see, one writer said, haste makes waste. <laughs> one country preacher said, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. <laughs> I feel that sometimes. Even like the, the more we try to hurry and the more we, we get impatient, we want to get all these things done, we just seem to get further and further behind. Folks, haste leads to shipwreck. Haste brings trouble and, 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 and regrets. Haste will lead us into many false steps and many wrong decisions. Haste is the road to error. Nowhere does the Bible teach us to make hasty decisions. That's exactly what we see making. They had choices, but they weren't willing to make those choices because they were in a hurry. They didn't have time to put in and ride out the storm. They were in a hurry. We find that one of the great illustrations in Scripture of that, of course, is Abraham and Sarah. God had made a wonderful promise, hadn't He? But in the natural, I don't know, we're getting kind of old, you know. (laughs) I know God promised this seed, but, boy, things don't seem to be happening. So they decided to help God along, didn't they? They became impatient. Do you know that that impatience and the misery that came from that, people are still suffering today as a consequence of it. People are still fighting today as a consequence of it. The simple truth is is that when God promises something, it's good. It's solid. It's not going to change. He'll keep his word. God has given us all these promises, and yet we become so impatient. Many times we find people that spiritually, they know the promises of God. They know what God says. But so many times they can make hasty decisions that are not based upon what God has said, the choices that God has given. Today, you want to avoid shipwreck as a child of God? May I say, first of all, avoid Decisions that are forged in haste. Secondly, avoid decisions that are founded on human wisdom instead of godly wisdom. Boy, there's such a difference in there. Notice here again, picking up in the next verse there in verse 9, he says, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much danger, not only of the leading, of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Venus and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lie toward the southwest and the northwest. You see, delays forced... A critical decision that those that were responsible, in this case, it was the ship's officers and this Roman centurion, should they continue or not? God's man, the Apostle Paul, he admonishes them very, very clearly this is going to be dangerous. This is not the time to sail. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul knew a little bit about shipwrecks. He had those experiences which most people tend to like to avoid in the natural life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and in verse 25, Paul said, Thrice, three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, and look. Thrice, three times, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. I don't know about you. I don't really like the idea of spending a day and a night in the ocean, in the deep. Paul had gone through this experience. He'd been shipwrecked three times. Now, the simple truth is, is that here... Julius, this centurion, he looked at the Apostle Paul. He was God's apostle. He was God's missionary. A prisoner. A prisoner on his way to Rome. He underestimated him. Why? He was just a prisoner, wasn't he? He wasn't anybody important. He looked at the ship's captain. Now, he had some position. I mean, this guy owns a ship. He's a, he's a successful businessman. He's a, a veteran seasoned sailor. And on the one hand, I believe what we see is that because of appearances, he undermates the apostle Paul and who he was, and he overestimates the importance of this business owner, this one that owned the ship. We find that... Paul made his warnings, but they were rejected. After all, who's going to listen to a prisoner instead of the master, the owner of this ship? Who's going to listen to this guy? What makes him think that he knows what he's talking about? He would naturally think because in the world's eyes, this other guy, he's got the position, he's got the power, He's got to have the knowledge. He's got to know what's going on. The centurion made his decision. You see, he was looking at human wisdom. He was reasoning all this out humanly. That's pretty smart if you think of it from the natural standpoint. You would think that, yes, this is the guy, this one should know better. This one should have the, the, the greatest experience. This is the one that should have the most know-how. But this is the one that was in touch with God. That makes all the difference in the world. How can we avoid shipwreck? How can we not become one of those? How can we be sure to be one that makes the destination harbor? Well, may I say, first of all, avoid, avoid those decisions that are forged in haste and avoid decisions that are founded on human wisdom and reasoning, if you would, instead of godly wisdom. You know, God knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen. In this case here, the centurion sided with the man who he had the most experience, the most hours at the helm of, of sailing rather than siding with the man that had the most time with God. In the end, it would seem from a human standpoint that the guy with the experience, the guy that had spent all those hours on a ship would know this situation better than the one that spent all this time with God that wasn't a sailor. But you see, that's leaving God out of the picture. We find that uh, we ask ourselves some of those same questions today. Sometimes we try to figure out, you see, I have a, Phenomenal respect for science. But when science differs from Scripture, you know, which are we going to believe? Which is going to make more sense to us? To the world, they're looking at scientific fact. We're looking at spiritual faith, we're looking at a book that we believe with all of our hearts was communicated to us by God Himself. And the simple truth is, is that, you know, human reasoning, human wisdom would tell us the same thing today. You know, it's, it's something, you know, we see some very astonishing, astounding, phenomenal things in this world. And one thing that almost bugs me almost every time when you go and you you see one of these great historical sites and they start talking about their millions and their billions of years. Folks, science is great. But to truly understand and get the right answers, you can't take God out of the equation We look around us so many times. You know, who are we going to place the most confidence in? The counsel of the psychologist or the counsel of the preacher that's using the Word of God? The psychologist that takes all these books that have been written by all of these people about the brain and the workings of man and what man does. And folks, I'm not underselling. There's people, they need help. And some of those are physical things. But all the physical in the world won't help the spiritual. (laughs) I read the story of a woman that had gone to her pastor for marital counseling. The comment was made when she was asking for this counseling. Pastor, we already know what the Bible says. We need professional help now. And isn't that so many times the way that we approach? We know what God said, but we need worldly counsel. We need worldly wisdom in order to work this thing out. You want to avoid being shipwrecked? Don't make you to say decisions based upon worldly wisdom, founded upon that, rather than upon spiritual wisdom, godly wisdom that comes from God, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying too. Just because somebody claims to be a Christian or a preacher or whatever, it might be that they've got God's wisdom on their side. Everybody that claims that, it's not true. You need to be grounded in the Word, and you need to know the difference when you can trust somebody and when you can't. But I'm saying don't feel like you've got to have the world's wisdom. The Bible goes through all these things, and not, it's not just this. I mean, in, in actual fact, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought, the world's not the one that ought to be imparting their wisdom to us, even when it comes to legal matters. We shouldn't be taking our brothers down to the courthouse and letting non-Christians decide what's right between two Christians. We get all out of balance because of worldly wisdom and acceptance you want to avoid shipwreck? Well, I can't promise you because it can happen to any of us. But I'm telling you, there's some things you can avoid making decisions that are forged in haste. The Bible warns us against that. You can avoid decisions that are founded on human wisdom rather than godly wisdom. You can avoid decisions that are focused on comfort <laughs> and convenience. The easy route. The most comfortable. right? Don't, isn't it nice to do things sometimes that, that just feels comfortable? Does everything have to be hard? Does everything have to be uncomfortable? Sometimes we may ask ourselves those things. You see, here it says in verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, because it wasn't commodious to winter in, they advised to depart and go somewhere else. Why? Well, apparently this harbor presented some problems. And if they were going to have to stay up there and wait out this storm, maybe the winter, well, this word, if it says it wasn't commodious enough, what's it saying? Well, in simple terms it's just saying that it wasn't big enough. (laughs) It wasn't large enough to meet their needs. Now, I started trying to figure that out. Well, now you know, they were on one ship. This this was a city harbor. What could have been the problem with, 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 with the size in that way? They were there. It wasn't that their ship was so big it wouldn't fit in the harbor, but yet their excuse was that it was not commodious. It wasn't grand enough. It wasn't large enough. You see, I'm not so sure that that really had anything to do with the size versus protection because what you want in the harbor is protection for the ship. But I do think this, it's most likely more to do with the fact that (laughs) being smaller, if it was a smaller harbor and a smaller place, it's not going to provide all the things that some harbors would. It's not going to have all the entertainment, (laughs) He's not going to have all the supplies, maybe a lot of those little things from back home that you like that they're just not going to have those things because it's not a big grand place. You see, in fact, I'm thinking that probably the Fair Havens wasn't quite grand enough to accommodate all their desires of their comfort zone. To stay there would mean that those sailors would probably have to Back off on some of the entertainment and and some of the taverns and some of the amusement and the entertainment and all these things that in Phoenicia they could have those things. They decided. They decided to sail onward. And I'm saying, according to what it looks like here, I believe that it was based upon their comfort and their conveniences because they were wanting a bigger port that had more to offer. There would have been some temporary inconveniences had they stayed here. Well, folks, I just want to remind you, and I'm sure you have found this out already, that when you're living by faith, when you're living by faith, you're going to have to make some decisions sometimes that are not comfortable And you're going to have to make some decisions sometimes that are not convenient. There's going to be other choices that you can make that could offer you more, that could offer you more of the world that would be grander, that would be bigger. But we need to avoid making decisions based upon the fact of the things that cater to our flesh rather than spiritual. So many times... So many times God is right down the totem pole of all those important things. We make big decisions in life a lot of times that are going to affect us, that are going to affect our families. So many times we're looking at the things that are convenient and comfortable for the flesh. And I believe that's what they were looking for here. Had they been willing to make that choice to listen to God's wisdom and to stay in this place that maybe wasn't quite as comfortable, quite as convenient, didn't have all the grand things that the other one would have, they could have avoided that shipwreck that they were in. I'll tell you something else. It's also there in verse 12. He says here, after he talks about that the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part. What's that? That's what we call the majority. <laughs> the biggest part of them. The biggest number of them. The more part advised to depart thence also. Simple truth is, is that you need to avoid decisions that are formulated on the majority's voice or the majority vote. I tried to decide which would be the best word to use there. It don't really matter. <laughs> Avoid decisions that are formulated on what the majority thinks rather than what God thinks. On the majority's voice rather than the master's voice, if you would. you See, Paul, he was just an old prisoner. He was very much in the minority. The majority said, let's sell. This is what we need to do just because something is something that the majority thinks is right doesn't make it right majorities never made anything right and of course just because something in the minority doesn't mean that it's wrong either in the end we find that most of the times as christians we will find ourselves in the minority in this world Not the majority, folks. We're not striving for that. We're not trying to, to, you know, have a pity party and feel sorry for ourselves. We're not trying to put ourselves at odds with everybody. The Bible says if you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. We might look around it and think, well, you know, the majority. The majority can't possibly be wrong when when it's got all the experts in it. (laughs) I mean, the people with all the know-how, the majority of this world is for sin and not for sanctification. Glenn, we were talking there before the service started, and I'm not going to chase a hobby horse, I'm not going to get off on a tangent, but let me just say this clearly and simply, speaking the truth in love. The world gradually and gradually more around us all the time. The world wants us to accept sin. Not as sin, but as just alternatives. We happen to be speaking about homosexuality. I'll tell you, folks. A homosexual is welcome to walk through the doors of that church anytime that they want to and be treated with the same love and respect as anybody else, but I'm not going to condone their sex life. Their, their, their style of living is just an alternative. When the Bible says it's sin, they need to be saved. They need to turn from that. The simple truth is it's sin like any other sin. We can't condone it and say it's okay to hang on to that. We can go through the list. I know that a lot of people out there want us to think that, you know, that that abortion is just it's just a choice that everybody ought to have. I don't believe we'll ever know the blessings of the Lord when we're saying that it's legal, that it's okay, that it's an all right choice to make to murder babies while they're still in the womb. That doesn't mean that we're out to hurt those that are. We want to love those. We want them to understand, and God's forgiveness is there for them, but we don't condone it and pretend to say that it's okay. We face the problems. We deal with the problems. The problem is today is that so many times, because everybody else thinks it's okay, we need to recognize you know what we're going to be influenced by people by things. I've heard me say before you know when when I was growing up i was I was considered a city boy because we lived in a big city of about thirty thousand people. <laughs> but the truth is, I knew a lot of people that lived on farms, so I was very familiar with farm animals and and even as a youngster you know going out there and and trying to help my uncle milk those cows and, 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 and to, to shear those sheep and all these different things. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I used to hate to be around the most, though, was the hog pens. Man, did they stink, and man, were they messy. And those hogs loved it. Simple truth is, though, you're not going to get out there. Now, when, when, when we left here yesterday, Andy, after the work day, I I got in the car and the windows were up and I smelled myself because of all that garbage that we've been loading up out there and and making a couple trips off to the tip and all that stuff, and you know what? I was around it so much that I'd begun to smell like it. And I looked and I had, you know, gunk all over me and everything, and it was all off that rubbish, that trash. You know, you play with it, you're gonna get it on you. You play with fire, you're gonna get burned. You wall in the mud, some of it's gonna stick. We live in a world that is sinful. We need to recognize it can have its influences, but we shouldn't try to let it have its influences. We need to try to back away. We need to try to avoid those things. We need to be influenced by the Word of God, not softening what we are and who we are and what we do because the world says it's okay. You see here, the Bible said that the more part, the big part, the majority part of all of them said, yeah, that's the right thing to do. We need to sail. We, we need to go on. We're not going to hang around here. Truth is, is that the majority of this world, we looked some time back at Matthew chapter 7, and the simple truth is, is that folks, not just the world, but the majority of religion. They've missed the boat. They've missed the boat. We don't say that proudly. Man, we got more mistakes than we'll ever deal with. Matter of fact, we'll never get it dealt with until Jesus gets back and deals with it for us. But let's not kid ourselves. When Jonah fled from the Lord, (laughs) well, he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. The huge amount, the majority of humanity today is going to hell. But I don't want to go that way just because the majority is. The majority of the people today deny this book as being the very Word of God. Man, I don't want to go down that route with them. If I don't have confidence in this, and I've got to start putting my confidence in some denomination or some hierarchy or some religious organization, I don't want to go there Or that I've got to trust men rather than God. I don't care if that's where the majority is going. The majority is not always right, but God is. He is. Psalm 119, verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I didn't even have to go back and look a Hebrew word up to figure out what that meant. I esteem all thy precepts, all things to be right. Every command, every hard saying, every injunction. Some of them taste good and some of them don't taste so good. Every precept, no matter whether it's severe or whether it's easy, all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. God can't be wrong. It's impossible for him to be wrong. In God's economy, we find that it's not only safer, but usually very desirous to be on the opposite side of the majority, folks. Don't make your decision based on what everybody else thinks is right. You want to avoid becoming shipwrecked? Don't Make your decisions. Don't let them be formulated on the majority, the majority's votes. And fifthly, let me give you this one. How can we avoid shipwreck? Avoid decisions that are finalized due to circumstances and conditions. We got all kinds of circumstances that we're going to go through in our lives. There's going to be all kinds of conditions that are around us all the time. And sometimes those things will press on us and sometimes those things will put us in difficult situations. Here in our reading in verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. The south wind. It was blowing softly and gently. It was providing just the conditions that they wanted. Totally contrary to what the Apostle Paul had said, the conditions didn't match what he said. He was warning them. He was warning them about shipwreck. He was warning them about dangers. This soft wind blows up, just perfect for sailing in. You find that they knew. What the Apostle Paul had said, they looked at the conditions around them. I can almost hear those cogs turning in their hands. Well, he said it, but boy, he's, he's, he's got to be wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, look at these conditions. He's talking about being dangerous. He's talking about us getting hurt. Look how wonderful it is. Perfect sailing conditions. We know this has got to be the right choice. Well, many times there's a deceitful love just before the storm. I can remember as a youngster in Miami, Florida, being in a, what I, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine what it was like for a, for a five-year-old kid with this big hurricane blowing through. And it just happened that the eye came right across. And, you know, the storm was there, and then it was gone, and it was one of the most peaceful, quiet you've ever seen or heard. That was just the eye. That was the lull before the other half came through. Very deceiving. You think it's all past. You think it's all gone. In this case, this was the lull before the storm. They thought that everything was perfect. This was the prelude to The completely unexpected, this was what they thought it was going to help them reach their goal. In the end, it would cost them everything. You see, folks, listen, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing has no direct correlation to God's will and God's direction. Smooth sailing, sometimes we think, well, boy, this this has got to be a God because it's just the easiest way for us to go. That soft southern breeze is showing us the deceptiveness of sin. Oh, sin often it just boy, it looks so harmless. Matter of fact, sometimes it can look very promising. It can offer so much. It could bring us pleasure. It could bring us gain. It can make life easier just this wrong choice or that wrong choice, making this decision, going this way, or turning your eye from that way. Let's not allow our final choices to come because of the circumstances and conditions around us. A sense of security can be a very deceptive thing and completely false. They were given a false sense of security soft winds, soft winds, so gentle. You see, it's all too easy to take what seems to be favorable conditions and allow that to be the deciding factor in a matter of guidance and to ignore God's Word, to ignore the counsel of God. We find that We should never allow circumstances, whatever they are, how big or how little, how good or how bad, never let them influence God's Word. Never let them influence it. Never let them allow us to look to that instead of what God says. The only sure and accurate way of evaluating the circumstances and the conditions around them are to interpret them in the light of God's Word. Too many today. Much of the false teaching and false preaching with all the best intentions in the world is because people are allowing their personal experiences in their human fleshly life to interpret what the Word of God means and what the Word of God says instead of letting the Word of God interpret the things that are going on in their life and the situations and the circumstances. This is the final. This is what everything else is judged against. We need to make sure that that's true in our lives. I started to say that a while ago when Jonah fled from the Lord. He found a ship going to Tarshish right away. Oh, yeah, this this is good. I need a ride, and right there is the ride. (laughs) The ready way is not always the right way, is it? just because it's easy to go down that path i can promise you this satan don't mind giving you a lift <laughs> he don't mind supplying you some some pretty nice transportation if it'll get you in the wrong place if it'll take you away from the will of god he might supply you some wonderful transportation to get you there don't take it you see notice here you see supposed confidence can be false consequences. What's to say they're supposing that they had obtained their purpose. They looked at the conditions and they took that as supposing to mean that this was right. Satan might send a little south wind along your way just to gently blow in, just to make you think, boy, these conditions are perfect. This has got to be the way to go. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose. That's our mistake a lot of times. You see, don't make the circumstances into the Bible. God's Word is here to teach us that we can live by it. You hear me say that time and time again. It's got to affect us. It's got to change us. It's got to affect what we're doing day by day by day. It's not there just to impress somebody with all the verses that we can quote or the doctrines that we can expound. It's to live our lives by. It's that the Word, that same Word that that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, that He might live in us, that He might be alive in us, that He might come to this world through us. This book will give us the guidance we need day by day. We can reduce a lot of troubles by learning what God is teaching us. from The experiences that he shares with us from his words. If we take God's counsel, if we take his guidance, we can't do that if we don't know it, if we don't understand what's there. He's given it to us to help us make the right decision. He's given it to us so we don't, have to suffer those shipwrecks. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be wise. It might not be exactly what you had in mind. I've had that a few times, but the alternative, if it means to be shipwrecked, is that what you would prefer? Would you choose that? I've said and I say again, not many people plan to be shipwrecked. I've never known a one. But all too often, they find themselves in that situation. Why? Because they haven't taken the necessary steps to avoid it. Folks, this is not some magic wand that I'm waving here this evening. This is just some very simple, practical things that God is showing us right here in this experience that the Apostle Paul went through. I give you these two verses in closing. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, he said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. God's given us His Word so that we can learn from it. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. God gives us these things, as I said in the beginning, not just to entertain us, but that we can learn from them. God doesn't want us to make the wrong decisions. He wants us to be in His perfect will, and He's got that for each and every one of us this evening. You know, man can have all the confidence in the world. He can build his finest vessels, but they always have been and they always will continue until the Lord's return. They can be shipwrecked. They can meet with tragedy, even when he thinks that he's built the unsinkable. And the same thing, lives. Lives could be shipwrecked. That's an illustration that I didn't have to stretch, but the Word of God itself uses. These are just a few things this evening that we can gain from this for our learning as an example to us to help us avoid it. Don't think, oh boy, now I've got these five magic things and I'll never be shipwrecked because I know these five things that just, I can't, it can't happen to me now. No, that's just some simple practical things to help us to do the things we can to avoid it. I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't want to be shipwrecked out there somewhere, but I know it's possible. And I want to do everything that I can to make sure that it doesn't happen to me. Father. Thank you this evening. Thank you for, Lord, we know that this was a tragic event for them, and we know that even though in this case that you chose to save all of their lives, there wasn't one of them that lost their life. Lord, they were there. They were trying to swim for their lives. They were trying to get away from this shipwreck. There was a point we saw in the account when literally they gave up all hope because they thought there is absolutely no way that they could be saved, but you saved them. We know today, spiritually, there are those who have given up all hope. Lord, as long as you're there and as long as they're here with breath in their bodies, Lord, there's still hope in you. And I pray for those this evening, our brothers and sisters that may be shipwrecked. I pray for each one here this evening, Lord, that if there's somebody that, if there's some area that they're struggling with, Lord, I pray that you would just be with them, that you would help them, that you would help them to seek the right counsel and to make the right decisions. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be an encouragement and a strength one to the other. We're in a minority, a very small minority at the very best. So help us to have a bond of unity and a bond of love that we can support and encourage and be there one for another. That, Lord, that one day we, not might, we wouldn't be surprised because of making a bad decision that we wouldn't end up shipwrecked as a result. Be with each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.